Hey, we're going to, we're starting a new teaching series today, uh, and we're going to be talking about prayer over the next few weeks. And what precipitated talking about prayer was, in fact, the morning prayer meeting that Tuck mentioned to you guys a few minutes ago. Uh, we decided, we just, several people were talking, saying, hey, we, we really haven't had a prayer meeting corporately in a while. We'd love, we need to do that, and as a church, we should have a prayer meeting, right? So 6.30, Tuesday mornings in the youth room. This will be a time of intercessory prayer, meaning we will pray for God's kingdom to come. So we'll be praying for our church, for our community, maybe for our nation, for the world, different, different capacities each week. Uh, 6.30 to 7.30, one hour, everyone is welcome to come. It's very fluid, which means if you can't be here every week, that's fine. Come when you can. If you come at 6.30 and have to leave at 7 for work, that's okay too. If you miss the alarm and come at 7 to 7.30, that's fine. Just come and uh, pray with us, and we would love to have anybody and everybody who can join us uh, at that hour of the day. God is up early, I have found out. He, God is a morning person. Some of us are not. I used to be a morning person. Most of my life, I was a morning person. I'm getting to be less of a morning person, but I'm going to be here for that. So join us for that. So it's the 24th? Is that right? Am I wrong? Oh, I said 28th. My bad. Okay. All right. 24th. Thank you. Uh, on that note, I wanted to mention, though, that there are we have several opportunities for personal prayer in the life of our church, and I just thought I'd review those for you really quickly. Um, we, we, we do value prayer here, and we, we believe in the power of prayer. We b- believe that when we call out to God, He hears the answers. And so we try to make as much opportunity for people to receive prayer as possible. And the f- sort of first line of defense, so to speak, is right here on Sunday morning. Uh, on virtually every Sunday, I'm, I'm not going to say every Sunday because every once in a while we run a little late, we don't take time for prayer at the end, but we try to pray the end of every service, and everyone is always welcome for that. Sort of the second line, and I think probably the best place to get prayer is home group. Uh, Home group is a smaller group of people that are committed and kind of know each other. You get to know each other a little better there. And so uh, in your groups, if you're not in a group, I'd encourage you to to look for one. If there's not one that on our schedule that seems to fit your needs and your schedule, I mean, I would talk to Kevin and see if maybe there's not some way down the road you could start one. But I will say this. We just started a new home group about two months ago, and the prayer time at our group just almost every week has just been wonderful. Really, really great opportunity. People are getting touched and filled with the Spirit and just blessed. So home group is a great place for prayer. Third thing is something called soaking prayer, and that's kind of exactly what it says there. It's it's a time of extended prayer. This is a opportunity if you have a kind of a long-standing issue in your life, something chronic or ongoing that other opportunities for prayer have not been able to really help you with. Uh, this is a four-week commitment. Uh, you have, there's a team of people, usually three to a team, that will pray for you for one hour for four weeks consecutively, but that team is also committed to praying for you throughout the week when you're not together. And I'll tell you, it is incredibly, incredibly beneficial. We had a testimony just a few weeks ago. Susan Chestnut shared a little bit about her experience in soaking prayer. And I would say that probably anybody and everybody that's ever been through a soaking prayer time would say the same thing, that this was really helpful. So if you would be interested in that kind of a, a opportunity, uh, while he's not here, he's sick today, man. He's every, it's been the week of the heinous flu, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. So while he's home, sick today, but... 
can they talk to you? Do they? Do Cindy answer questions about that? Cindy can answer questions about that. So talk to Cindy or Wally, and, and we can uh, arrange that for you. And then, last but not least, we do have an online prayer list, prayer at portlandvineyard.org. If you just send an email into that with your prayer request, there is a, an amazing group of people that would love to pray for you. Two things I'll say. If you are not on the list to pray and receive those and would like to be, you're welcome to do that. There's no criteria. You don't have to, there's no test to pass or anything. If you just want to pray for people, you can't. Just send an email to that address and write, add me, and we'll put your name on the list, and, you, and then you'll get the prayer requests that go out. And then anytime you need prayer for something, please send that into us, and we'll, we'll pray for you. Um, so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is actually not talk about prayer as much as I'm going to break down and analyze uh, a prayer that we're all pretty familiar with. We're going to look at what's usually called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I, I personally tend to call it the Disciples' Prayer, um, but it's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at this primarily in Luke's Gospel, although Luke and Matthew's versions of it are slightly different, so we'll kind of crunch them together a little bit at times, but we'll kind of use Luke as our main uh, text. And the reason is that at the beginning of the text in Luke, Jesus is praying. He goes off by himself as he often does, and he's praying. And the disciples come up and they see him praying, and they realize he's got something going on there. And they come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And so then Jesus responds and tells them, well, this is, this is how you pray. So that's going to be the uh, title of our series the next four weeks, Teach Us to Pray, and we are going to break down and look at the Lord's Prayer. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Jesus, uh, we just uh, open our hearts to your word today and ask that you would cause us to really receive what you have for us and to hear you today and to be able to enter into a deeper and, and a refreshed and new place of intimacy and prayer with you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Uh, Luke says, just Father there. Matthew adds, Father in heaven. Um, the introduction, my, my guess is this, that most of us probably don't pay a lot of attention to that. We kind of skip over it. It's just sort of the intro, right? It's just the salutation. It's not the, it's not the, the meat of the, the prayer. Um, but that said, we all pray that way, right? Every one of us Whenever you pray, you always start with something, right? Some people say, dear Heavenly Father, dear Jesus, uh, God. Some people like to be a little more personal and intimate, and they say Abba or Daddy or Papa or something like that. But however, whatever your approach is, we usually have some sort of an address that we do just to acknowledge who, who we're praying to. And I would say to you, whichever one of those you use is valid. They're all legit. Um, but I want to say this, that... Uh, the, the basis for our prayer, the, the total basis for prayer, is that father-child relationship. That's what prayer is based on. The fact that we are addressing somebody whom we have 
a close, personal, intimate relationship with. That's the basis for prayer. That's the total basis for prayer. It's relationship with God. It's not based on other things. Sometimes I think we base prayer on how we feel today. Um, sometimes you feel like praying, don't you? Anybody ever just, man, you're in one of those days where God's moving, it's real, it's alive, things are happening. Get in the car, turn off the radio, and man, you're just praying, 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 and it's awesome. I love that. Those are good days. Some days, not so much. You ever have a day where you don't feel like praying? Let's do true confessions right now. How many of you have ever had one of those days, and you think, you actually have the thought, I should pray right now, but you don't. I'm not going to pray. I'm too mad to pray. Yeah, oh man, I mean, this is the right crowd. I'm glad I'm talking to you guys today. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, here's the good news. The good news is that it's not based on how we feel. It doesn't matter if things are going well or bad. Our relationship is the same. That's unchanged and we can pray to God regardless. It's also not based on what God can do for us. Look, God is gracious. God is generous. God, God is a loving father who wants to give good gifts to his kids. He wants to bless us richly and abundantly beyond expectation. But really, at the end of the day, that's not what matters. What matters is he's our father. And that's what we brace, base our prayer on. It's 100% relationship. And then right after that, he says, hallowed be your name. Now, that, that's not a word we use very often, is it? The only context I can ever remember hearing the word hallowed used in outside of this prayer is either in a book or a movie or something when they're talking about like a university, like, like a, a Ivy League school or something, and they talk about, you know, the hallowed halls of this school. And when you hear that or you read that, you go, okay, so that gives me a sense that this is something special or kind of revered, or maybe it's just really, really old. I don't know. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, that's the only context I've ever heard that word used in outside of the Lord's Prayer. So it's a little, a little obscure, maybe. We don't know what does it mean, how it be your name. Let's dig in. Uh, the dictionary, Merriam-Webster, you, you guys can't see very good, but the first one says, holy or consecrated. And then it says, the church stands on hallowed ground, which is, that's, not the, that's a bad definition. It should be God's hallowed, the ground isn't, but... Whatever, Merriam-Webster. Uh, second is sacred or reverend, revered. The university's hallowed halls, and that's uh, the, the context I said I'd heard it in before. But the idea here is that something holy, consecrated, sacred, revered, something uh, that is unique and special. The Greek word that's translated hallowed in our Bible is hagiatso. It's a hard word to say a little bit. But that means to make holy or to sanctify, to really set apart as holy. It's something distinct and unique. And so when we say, hallowed be your name, we're really saying, God, your name is holy. Your name is distinct. It's separate. It's set apart. It's different than other names. Your name, in fact, is the name above all names. That your name is not like anybody else's name. Your name is different than that. In our culture, uh, a name is a name right? Your name is just your name, pretty much. I mean, Bob, Joe, Hazel, whatever. That's uh, your name. It's the name your parents gave you most often. Sometimes people take their, they make up their own name because they don't like the one their parents gave them. But usually it's the name your parents give you, uh, and, and they, they gave it to you because of some reason. Maybe it was trendy. There's always trendy names, you know, they kind of go in cycles, Josiah or whatever, and then that fades off, and then something else comes back. It's a trendy name. Might be... Uh, 
a family name. Maybe it's a passed down family name. My, my beautiful granddaughter there, who's fussy at the moment, is named Ember Glenn after her grandpa and her great-grandpa. It's a family name. You can say off if you want. Okay. Um, so sometimes it's a passed down family name. Um, sometimes parents will name their child a name that has some meaning. It might mean joy or hope or something like that. But at the end of the day, really, it's, it's a name. It's, it's your name. Um, biblically speaking, though, names have a little more significance. Typically, a person's name in the Bible uh, has, is a statement of their character, the kind of person they are, their calling, what God has chosen them to do, and or their destiny, what God has for them ultimately. And so uh, it has a little bit of a deeper level of meaning than typically names in our culture have. A couple examples. One is in the Old Testament, you remember, God spoke to Abram, and he said, said, I'm not going to call you Abram anymore. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of nations. So Abraham had a destiny and a calling And God actually gave him a new name that went along with that destiny and calling as to who he was. Then you'll also remember just a few weeks ago, we looked at our friend Barnabas, whose name was not in fact Barnabas at all. His name was Joseph. But in this case, it wasn't God directly who changed his name, but the disciples changed his name. They watched Barnabas in his life and they said, hey, this guy's an encouraging guy. He encourages people everywhere he goes. So we're going to call him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And they gave him a new name that, again, went along with who he was. So we say the name of God is hallowed. The name of God is holy and distinct and set apart because that's who God is. God is holy and distinct and set apart. And his name has purpose and meaning. And we see this all through Scripture. A few examples uh, from the Psalms. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Not just how majestic are you, but how majestic is your name in all the earth. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my sin. That's a powerful statement. For this, and we'll come back to this in a few minutes. But for the sake of your name, forgive my sin, though it is great. I've sinned a lot, but I, I'm asking you to forgive me so that your name will be held up. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. May his name endure forever. If you look through the Psalms, and the prophets. I just did a few examples, but there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of passages where uh, God's name is given value and purpose and meaning beyond just a name. So God's name is his character. That's That's who he is. It's what he is. And here's the thing. His name can be exalted and glorified like it was, hopefully, Uh, you know, like during our worship time just a little bit ago. We lift the name of God up. Or uh, conversely, God's name can be desecrated or torn down. I want to dig into that a a little bit. When we study Scripture, you you learn to ask questions of the text, right? You want to, why is this here? What does this mean? So my question this morning is, why would Jesus instruct his disciples to say, hallowed be your name? Pray this way. Does that, is there, does that mean that maybe his name might not be hallowed, that it could not be? Does it, does it mean that my prayer or who I am or what I say has some bearing on that? Those are really, really important questions. And we're going to try to answer that. Um, I'm going to look at the cultural context here for just a second. The Bible was written in a context. It wasn't written in a vacuum. And to understand the context is vital to understanding the meaning. Um, The idea of keeping God's name holy 
was foundational to ancient Israel. It was very, very important to them to keep God's name holy. You may recall a little thing called the Ten Commandments. And the third commandment of those ten is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Um, I like the NIV here, misuse the name of God. I think some of us, maybe if you're older, uh, memorize this in the King James, where it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain, which again is a little bit obscure. What does that mean, take the Lord's name in vain? But I think when you say, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, that's a little clearer to me. That's a little more defined. That helps me. Um, has anybody ever heard anybody misuse the name of the Lord? <laughs> I won't ask if you've ever done that. Um, yeah, yeah, we have. We have. And, and I'm going to give you a few examples of this. The name of the Lord can be misused, I think, sometimes by pastors and teachers or by prophetic people. They can misuse the name of the Lord. Um, when we teach on the gifts of the Spirit here, and we teach on especially the gift of prophecy, we instruct people, when you have a word from the Lord, if you, if you believe God's saying something to you, the way that you present that is that, I believe God's saying this today. Or, you know, I feel like this is what God's saying for us. And you submit that to, to the recipients f- for, to, to be weighed and kind of valued because um, it, could be, it could be that you're not hearing quite right or maybe you did hear from God but you didn't interpret it quite right. There's a lot of things. There's a human element to it. We don't say, thus saith the Lord. Because that's a, that's a little different, isn't it? If I say, hey, here's what I think God's saying today, you can say, okay, well, I'll weigh that out and I'll, I'll think about it. If I say, thus saith the Lord, that's different. Why, I don't need to weigh that because God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? I'll tell you, that's not always a good motto because it could be wrong. Years and years ago, in the very, very early days of the vineyard, there was a vineyard pastor named Brent Rue. He was at the vineyard in Lancaster, California. And today, that church is actually pastored by Brent's son, which is a pretty amazing turn of events that have taken place over the last 40 years. But uh, Brent was a very, very beloved guy. He was one of these guys uh, that was just, he just sort of oozed grace. He was just, you just you'd, sometimes you want to just go stand by him. I just want to stand by him for a little while because it'll feel good. Just so friendly and gracious and kind and loving. Just one of those kind of people. Pastored that church for many years. And Brent uh, got cancer. He got very sick. And he was going through treatment for cancer. And it was not helping. He wasn't getting better. And during that time, a very well-known prophetic person in sort of prophetic circles in the, you know, America came and prayed over Brent and said, you, this will not be unto death. You will not die. You will surely live. Thus saith the Lord. And how do you think Brent and his wife and his kids and his family and his church and his friends all felt when they heard that? Pretty good. He's going to make it. How do you think they felt a few weeks later when Brent died? Not so good. Disillusioned. Confused. Uh, I might say angry. Um, I believe that was a misuse of the name of God. Pastors and teachers can do that as well, not just prophetic people. One of the ways that I think, um, you know, when you, you give somebody a microphone, they have a voice, right? They, they have a position, they have a place, and people listen. And 
One of the ways I think you can misuse the name of God is by wrapping up your political agenda in the name of the Lord. If I have a, an opinion, I have a political agenda, I, I believe this is the way things should be done. And I tell you, hey, this is what I think. This is how it goes. You could say, well, I don't agree. I disagree. I think this. So you think one thing, I think another thing. So what? Big deal. That's how the system works. But if I say this is God's agenda, this, God's behind this, vote this way because that's what God wants, it's a little bit harder to argue with that. You can disagree with me all day long and nobody really cares. But, I, you know, you maybe don't want to disagree with God. That's a little different situation. Do you know that in the uh, American Civil War, most costly, bloody, deadly war ever in the history of this country that both sides believed they were on the side of God? Did you know that? It's a long article I read. I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you. It's abundantly clear, as recent scholarship has demonstrated, that religion stood at the center of the Civil War for both sides. Both North and South looked to God for meaning, and each side believed with equal fervor and certitude that God was on its side. Many ministers, generals, leaders, and editors went so far as to proclaim that God had ordained the war and would determine its length, its damages, and its outcomes. The victor would show, in other words, whose side God really supported. The Confederate Constitution, adopted on February 8, 1861, and ratified on March 11, 1861, officially declared its Christian identity, invoking the favor and guidance of Almighty God. Southern leaders chose as their national motto, Deo Vendice, God will avenge. Confederate President Jefferson Davis proclaimed that the time had come to recognize our dependence upon God and supplicate his merciful protection. It's interesting, if you read any of Abraham Lincoln's speeches, the verbiage is virtually identical. He's saying the exact same thing for this side as Davis is saying for this side. The national acknowledgement of religious dependence as itself frequently pointed out during the war in both the religious and the secular North that God ignored in its constitution. They ignored God and put secular concerns above the sacred duties of Christian service and the divine commission. I would say that's a misuse of the word of God. And I'm going to be honest a little bit right now and just say that the evangelical church in America does it all the time. And I would caution you to not place God's name on your agenda. You can have an agenda. That's fine with me. You can have an agenda all day long. But don't place God's name on it. Um, You know, there's another way that the name of the Lord can be misused, and it's probably the one that most of us thought of when we first brought this up, and that's just vulgarity, right? Um, Anybody else cringe when you hear somebody use the name of God as a cuss word? I just cringe, man. I just, oh, gosh. You know, look, drop an F-bomb, whatever. I've heard it before. It's not going to ruin my day. But don't say Jesus Christ as a cuss word, all right? That makes me want to poke your eyes out. And that wouldn't be good. I'm going to dig a hole. You know, it's bound to happen. Um, Part of Israel's call as God's chosen people was to keep the name of the Lord holy. That's what they were supposed to do. They were chosen to reach the rest of the world with who God was and what God was like. And the way that they do that is by living out that name, by living out 
in integrity the name of God, to, to make God's reputation holy, to be a nation of priests means to serve others in the name of God. And when they didn't respond accordingly and they didn't do that, then the name of God looked bad. Does that make sense? When, when they didn't respond appropriately, the name of God looked bad. I'm going to give you an example of this one too really quickly. Uh, David was the man after God's own heart, right? Man after God's own heart. Until, he was the man after God's own heart until he saw his neighbor, uh, his hot neighbor, sunbathing on the roof naked. And then God's heart went right out the window. Ooh, mama. And then in a classic abuse of power, he tells his underlings, hey, go get her and bring her here. He entered into a relationship with another man's wife, and she became pregnant. Uh-oh. So then you know what he did? He tried to pawn it off on the husband, but the husband was a man of integrity and wouldn't allow that to happen. And so, well, he just did what any red-blooded narcissistic leader would do, and he had his, her husband killed. In the aftermath of that, the prophet Nathan came to David and called him out. Told him a little story. Said so David, there was a man that had lots and lots of sheep. Lots of sheep. And there was another man who had one tiny little baby lamb. And he loved the little baby lamb. And his kids would tuck the lamb in at night. And this man came and he took that man's lamb and he ate it for dinner. David said, that man should surely die. And Nathan said, you are that man. It's interesting in the end of that exchange, Nathan says this, and I'm reading from the NES because it comes out a little differently there than in the IV. He says, however, because of this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Because of what you've done, the enemies of the Lord can now say bad things about God because what you've done has made God look bad. Let me bring this home a little bit. Um, Here's the thing. People will base their opinion of God on you and I. People will base their opinion of God on you and I. And you can say, that's not fair. I would say, it is fair. It's fair all day long. It's fair for a lot of reasons. The, The first and foremost is that that's the way God said it works. But second, and probably more important to some people is it's fair because that's what we do. Christians judge others. And so they have the right to then judge God based on what Christians do. Do they not? Does that seem fair to you? I'll give you an example. Oh, you can't see it very good, but we haven't looked at this guy in a while. I thought it was time to bring him out again. I I wish you could turn the lights off for a minute, Stephen. This is downtown Portland a few years ago. There's a guy there. His T-shirt, you can't read it, says, Trust Jesus. Then he has a sign, and the sign says at the top, why do you, he wants to be cute, doesn't want to be too critical, why do you heart the devil? Not love the devil, but why do you heart the devil? And then at the bottom of the sign, it says, repent and believe in Jesus, and then he has a list of all the people that heart the devil. So if you're any of these people, you need to repent and turn to Jesus. So at the top of his list are your basic homos, druggies, and gangsters. Then feminists, Mormons, Buddhists, drunkards, Baha'is, Catholics, hmm, Wife beaters, atheists, New Agers, Democrats, I'm sorry. If you're a Democrat, 
You heart the devil. Uh, environmentalists, if you have any concern about our environment and taking care of that and taking care of God's creation, heart the devil. PKs, I feel really bad because my kids heart the devil and it's my fault. Sorry, honey. PKs heart the devil. Abortionists, effeminate men. I, I don't even know. Grow a beard or get out. What does that mean? Uh, effeminate men, racists, Scientologists, and emos. I found this interesting. Emos are on the list, but goths are not, and hipsters are not. So if you're a hipster or goth, you're okay. If you're emo, heart the devil. Um, government recipients, and I'm trying to figure out if that means if you work for the government, if you have a government job, or what that is. Maybe if you're on Social Security. Adulterers, fornicators, thieves, gamblers, Muslims, Jehovah's Witness, perverts, idolaters, pagans, loudmouth women. Ladies, zip it. Heart the devil. Agnostics, liars, freeloaders, liberals, my favorite, highfalutin, sophisticated swine. <coughs> I don't actually know what that is, but I like it. Highfalutin, sophisticated swine, last but certainly not least, and man, this is, this is where he really cuts to the core, sports nuts. If you're a sports nut, you're out. You can be a casual fan, that's okay. But if you're a sports nut, heart the devil. Me and you, buddy, we're out. I think we, I think we crossed that line. I think we've crossed that line. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. I, I mean, if we do that to the world, do they not then have the right to judge God based on what we've said? If I saw that guy, if I didn't know anything about God, church, Jesus, anything about anything, and I walked down and I saw that guy, I would think two things. One, you can turn the lights back on, Stephen. I would think, one, that God is a little uptight and maybe a little critical. And is that not fair for me to think that? I believe it is. For the sake of God's name, we have to consider our behavior and how we walk out our Christian life Ezekiel, at this point, the Israelites have been held under oppression by foreign agencies, both human and demonic, and God is now going to release them and set them free. He tells them he's going to set them free, but then he tells them why he's going to set them free. And he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. God's name will be made holy through how we live our lives. Um, his reputation, the reputation of God, is actually filtered through you and I. There's a responsibility attached to walking out our faith in Jesus. When we pray, hallowed be your name, understand you're praying that I am willingly submitting myself to, me the, to be the means by which that prayer is actually answered. God's name will be made holy through the way that I live my life. He redeems us. He forgives us. He gives us a new heart. 
He abides in us. He empowers us to be his image bearers on earth. He fills us with his Holy Spirit so that the world would see who he is and what he's like and that his name might be made holy. So I guess, you know, for us, for you and me at the end of the day, does God look like that or does God look like that? That's uh, Mother Teresa there. It's a tiny little Albanian woman hugging a little African baby and I just say, I like that one better. That's what God looks like. And his reputation and his name will be made holy through what you and I do. When you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, just understand what it is you're saying. Your life is behind that prayer. Okay, let's stand.